Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast, bringing you weekly insights into the newspaper and magazine publishing sector. I'm Kia Byrne, and this week my guest is Lucy Brazier, CEO of March and Publishing, the publisher of Executive Secretary magazine. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Acorn Web Offset, the Yorkshire-based specialist A5 and A4 magazine printer. With high-speed web offset and sheet-fed printing, together with in-house saddle stitching, perfect binding and mailing services, Acorn can cope with the most demanding of production turnarounds. Acorn prides itself on its efficiency and low-cost print production. For more information, visit acornweb.co.uk. After a 25-year career in publishing, in 2011, Lucy Brazier decided to start her own magazine for the executive assistant market. The result was Executive Secretary magazine, offering training and inspiration and recognising the executive assistant role as a career and not just a job. Lucy is also an international speaker and conference chair who has presented at over 450 events in 50 countries. She has worked with the executive assistants to some of the most powerful people in the world, including Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama and Oprah Winfrey. Lucy, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Hi, Kia. It's so lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. So can I begin by asking how Executive Secretary magazine came about in the first place? I believe that you'd been working in publishing for quite a long time and and you decided to do something new. Yes, well, actually, it was, um, I think, the universe kind of (laughs) congregating to make it happen. I had um, acquired a newsletter back in 2003. Um, I was doing some PR for a client, tried to get it into a newsletter, and the lady that owned it said she was about to shut it. But would I be interested in going and having a conversation with her? I think we just had a really nice chat on the phone. And I went down to Devon and met with her. And at the end of the conversation, she said, I'd really like to give this to you. I feel that you're meant to have it, but you just have to keep running it so that I don't have to give subscriptions back. And you have to promise me it will never have any advertising in it because the assistants hate advertising. So um, I agreed to that. I kept running it as a quarterly newsletter. for several years, but had always wanted to turn it into a proper magazine, obviously, because that's been my background, well, at that point, for 24, 25 years. Um, And then in 2010, I burnt out. I was operating at really top level. I was a publishing director. I was looking after 13 magazines and various events and a huge international team and got up one morning and just thought, I can't do this anymore and was very unwell indeed and went home. And at that point, I was looking for something that would give me more work-life balance. Ha ha, that's a joke. Mm. Um, (laughs) And um, thought, well, I can do this from my kitchen table. And my assistant had always said to me, I love the magazines you publish, but I do wish you would do something for us because nobody ever takes our career seriously. Um, And so it kind of all just fell into place. And I had... No budget for marketing. So I reached out on social media and started talking to people. And here we are 10 years later. um, And we are probably the authority in this marketplace globally. And certainly I think um, I'm now seen as one of the leading authorities in this marketplace. And that's why I end up speaking all over the place. 
Well, I was going to ask how you identified the gap in the market, but it sounds as though you spoke to your own personal assistant and you already had this newsletter. Did you um, add to that with any research into where there was a gap in the market and how were the information needs of personal assistants being met before you came along? Um, I think that um, before I came along, there were magazines in the marketplace that didn't really understand the industry, but understood publishing. And I think that there were magazines that were run by associations who understood the industry, but didn't understand, you know, the, the publishing side of it. So we kind of came into the middle of it. And because I had had since 2003 running this newsletter, I'd done bits and pieces of speaking, but we also did a huge amount at the beginning of going out on social media and joining all the groups on LinkedIn for assistance and asking them what training they felt that they needed and then talking to them about what speakers they had seen who they thought were extraordinary and really just asking them a lot of questions full stop. The market for assistance is um, a fifth of the world's working population. This is the world working population, working Gosh. administration. So that's half yes. a billion women because it's 98% women worldwide in a career that is largely misunderstood and seen as a group of women that do tea and typing and support. And these days it isn't that anymore at all. The best ones are strategic business partners and really work with their executives to make sure that their time is best utilised so that the company has a good ROI on the executives. Well, that that's very interesting to hear that it's 98% female. Um, I'm, I was going to come on to ask what the reader profile is. And having had a look at, at your magazine and, and your website, I had noticed there were lots of images of, of women um, and the occasional image of a man. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that reader profile and what their role is and what their needs are? Yes, of course. So I think... Um... Back in 2014, the biggest association for assistance in the world did a piece of research which categorically proved that during the last recession, um, when businesses got rid of middle management, they asked their assistants to step up and take on a load of those roles. So assistants prior to that, although a lot of them were supporting at a very high level, probably weren't involved in things like events and HR and marketing and those kind of things. But these days, you're far more likely to see assistants working in project management and, um, so yes, supporting with administrative tasks, but probably far more putting together things like um, reports and um, briefing documents and really going and doing research for their executives and almost being a stunt double when it comes to the process and procedure side of things. So for these assistants, If I explain to you that there are 162 job titles in this marketplace currently. Right. um, So there is no clear career progression. And there are also executives that are working with assistants who really don't understand how to use them because the average age that somebody gets management training is 42 years old. So the assistants really, by their very nature, are servant leaders and are not usually confident in speaking up and saying, actually, this isn't how you're going to get the best out of me. So a lot of what we do as a publication is to just give them permission and confidence and the tools to go and have those conversations so that their executives start using them properly, so that actually they are then seen very much as part of the business team, as opposed to somebody who sits separately, who is there to make coffee and type up the odd note. Is that really isn't what it is anymore. 
And and would you like to see more men coming into the role? I know that you have a, a male executive assistant yourself. Yes, I absolutely think that it is a job that is both for men and women. You know, it's a profession now and this is where it's changing. I think it's very interesting that Google just changed the name of assistants in um, in its organisation from executive assistant to administrative business partner for the junior ones and executive business partner for the older ones. For the, you know, more, more seasoned ones. And the reason they did that is because Anne Hyatt, who was the chief of staff there, was tasked with making sure they employed in a 12-month period the same amount of men as women. And by changing the job title, they did so. I think there's something intrinsically um, worrying to men about the title assistant because it suggests that they're assisting and not doing. And assistants these days are very much doing. And yet you have the name secretary in your magazine. Are you quite comfortable with that? No, and we're looking at it. Um, Executive secretary was the name of the newsletter that had gone back for nearly 20 years before I took it over. And so it is a brand. And it could be argued that and we have for a while that, you know, the Telegraph, um, the Post, those kind of names are also very old fashioned, but they are a brand and they're a brand that people are familiar with. However, I think more and more secretary is becoming a derogatory term, especially in the States. And so um, we are in the process of going through a rebrand. And the ES that is on the front of our cover is actually executive secretary written in shorthand. So I suspect the logo will stay and we will find a different way of presenting it. And coming out of COVID, I think that's the ideal opportunity to do that. So we're working with design agencies on that currently. Right. Okay. I I wanted to go back and ask how the magazine has evolved since its start in 2011 and what have been the key milestones along the way? Um, It was really organic and that was great because it gave us time to grow with it because it started off with me in my kitchen and putting magazines into um, envelopes on the floor and walking them down to the post office. And now, you know, that just isn't possible at all. So um, we started just with the magazine. And I suspect, as a lot of magazine publishers do, you start with building the brand and getting people to really know that. And then off the back of that, the event kind of the event, the first event that we did came very, very organically. I had been four months after we launched the magazine, invited to go and speak in Milan to an association out there. And originally, you know, when I launched, I thought, It's half a billion women. It's an amazing marketplace. It's a great opportunity to make some money as a publisher, of course. Um, But then having been to Italy and spoken to these women in Milan, they were so passionate about what they did and so desperately wanting more and not sure how to ask for that and not sure how to take their place at the table or how to become part of the conversation. And actually, I keep saying I want to write a book called How to Speak Business, because for very many assistants, they totally understand what their role is and what they can do, but they don't understand how to verbalize it. So it kind of occurred to me that having operated at a publishing director level, maybe there was a role for me to be the catalyst between business and the assistants to start having those conversations. And indeed, that's how it's evolved. But we decided because we kept getting feedback from the um, assistants that there were a lot of events out there that were for very junior level, but there was nothing for their tribe, as it were, for the senior ones. And our event has an average years of experience of 18. So it's the very, very senior ones. And, you know, they come and they 
absolutely share best practice. And they say that the content is phenomenal, but actually the two days of networking is equally important. And so obviously off the back of that, I got asked to go speak far more um, at far more events. I headlined at the two biggest events in the world for assistance last year, one of which was 2,600 people. Um, and last year, I think, was something ridiculous, like 42 countries and 183 events. So I spend an inordinate amount of time on the road when we're not in this COVID situation. And that, of course, brings requests for me to go and speak in businesses. And now we seem to have evolved into um, doing a lot more consultancy as well. We've got a couple of the really big consultancy firms that we're working with currently um, to put career progression in place alongside the World Administrators Summit, which is like the G8 for assistants, who have been doing research for the last six years on how we professionalise the entire um, the entire role right the way across the world. So we're looking at career progression that gets taken back to all the countries so that it becomes like nursing or accountancy or whatever it happens to be, where everybody understands where the assistants sit, rather than there being this huge confusion you know in the states they only have one level of assistant and there's hardly any career progression at all the department right, of right. labor only has one category for assistance and so the senior level ones have nowhere to go can you imagine that starting a role and knowing there's nowhere to go gosh so i mean what you've talked about is um a business which is quite um predicated on events and going out to speak how has that been impacted by covid Oh, gosh, it was horrible. Um, although I have to say I'm very excited now about <laughs> where we're going with it. Um, two weeks after we um, after we were all put into lockdown, we were due to be having our big conference in London. So we had to move really swiftly to change that. Um, and in fact, we held last weekend our first virtual conference and it was 551 people from 27 countries. And yes, the majority of them paid. We gave away 45 um, places as uh, scholarships and we had the people who would have attended London attend free of charge as a kind of thank you for bearing with us. But other than that, people paid a decent amount of money to attend and the feedback's just been absolutely phenomenal. It was 52 speakers over 48 hours of continuous broadcast and... Um, yeah, I mean, my I just am not traveling anywhere at the moment. I'm doing no. I'm doing some training online. We're taking my training course and we're filming that currently to release in the autumn um, because there are a lot of companies that want that that can't afford to pay what they were paying before. And obviously, a lot of the conferences have gone virtual, and I'm still speaking at those. But um, eventually, well, I was I'll go back to traveling. <laughs> I, I, I was going to, to to ask. I mean, you you pivoted very quickly to get um, your conference. Uh, online what what advice would you have for other publishers who are considering taking their events online the thing that really became clear to me quite quickly and I think maybe it's just because a I have an amazing producer but also because my father was the head of drama at the BBC so I was brought up in a broadcast environment and okay and very much how when I looked at our conferences I thought this is a piece of theatre and you've got to understand that with the virtual event, I looked at it right from the beginning and thought, this is a 48-hour broadcast. And it's a bit like doing something like Children in Need, I guess, um, except for probably more professional. 
So you have to get the interaction going. You have to have sessions that start on time. I'd been watching a whole heap of conferences where, you know, they were trying to um, do it live and something would underrun and then they were scrambling to fill the space or it would overrun and people were tuning in. I think we understood that if it's at home, people needed time to get up and make a cup of coffee or to go to the bathroom and that when they rejoined, it was a bit like a TV schedule. If you were saying you were starting at 7 a.m., you needed to start that session at 7 a.m. But then we put adverts in between the breaks so that if one session, for example, finished at 27 minutes past the hour, the next one would start at half past. So it was always um, in half hour segments, as it were, so that we then filled the gaps with either holding slides saying the next session's coming shortly or with advertisements for sponsors or for the speakers. And then we had a chat box. So what I didn't expect was that we would have the kind of interaction that we had at the live event. And actually, I've had so many emails from people saying, goodness, I feel like I've now got friends all over the world. I'm feeling really flat because it's all over. <laughs> you know, Great. Um, yes. Amazing. So can I ask about your revenue streams? Um, you, you don't carry advertising in the magazine, although it, it sounds as though you do carry advertising at your events. Um, so between subscriptions, conferences, training, consultancy, how, how does that pan out? Um, the magazine print subscriptions are almost nothing. I mean, we print right. 5,000 copies and probably half of those are paid subscriptions and it tends to be assistants that pay for them themselves. Um, they look like a textbook. I wanted something that was a cross between a textbook and a magazine, which is why we don't have any advertising in there. Um, right. 84% of our readers keep every copy. Um, but it's a tiny part of our revenue. The, on the other hand, we have um, PDF licenses, which businesses are able to buy in order to tick the box to say that they're training their assistants. And that is a huge revenue stream for us because some of the biggest businesses in the world subscribe globally for their assistance to those licenses. Um, the conferences are a great way for me to get out and to talk to our audience. But what tends to happen is people see me at those and then they invite me to come and speak at their businesses and I make good money out of that. So me speaking at conferences, either my own or other people's, is a marketing tool to get me into businesses. Um, and the consultancy seems to be following from that because the HR and learning and development staff stay and listen to me speak and then say, oh, my goodness, can you come in and help us? And then that's a really big revenue stream for us currently. Um, in fact, I have probably too much work on that. At the moment. We're going right. to need to pair that back a bit. So it's exciting. I can, can you tell us a bit more about the training that you provide? You've talked about the importance of professionalising and upskilling the role of the executive assistant. Um, and, and how does that work in terms of training? Um, so I train assistants how to be proper strategic business partners. So we do um, a whole heap on talking to them about communication and about how to step up and be confident and how to have those conversations with their executives. And we give them lots of ideas as to how they can get involved in the business and explain the importance of really understanding how the business works, because most of them know about the business, but they don't really understand it. They, you know, and that moving forward, I think, has to be different. I think they need to 
sit in on leadership meetings and ask questions, but also so that they can insert themselves into a situation whereby they are working with their executives to ensure their executives are saving time. Um, Particularly at the moment, you know, we're all in real uncharted waters. And I'm hearing a lot from the assistants that they are um, either in a situation where they're absolutely flooded with work and don't quite know how to get it all done. So they're really reactive and firefighting. Or they have nothing to do at all because their executives are saying, well, I don't know what I want you to do. Go and do whatever it is you do do. Um, And actually, what they need to be doing is to be looking proactively about how they can add value. Because the thing with assistants is they're chaos tamers. They are the ones who do the detail. And, you know, as a CEO myself, I know that I'm great at the vision. I'm great at leading everybody forward. I am wonderful at creating opportunities. But when it comes to putting process in place to make that happen and ensuring that the detail happens and people are getting chased up on time, that's Matthew's job. That's my assistant's job. So it's really training them to have a different mindset so that they're not seeing themselves as a sidekick, but so they are looking not at how they can be a gatekeeper of people, but how they can be a gatekeeper of time, because the business pays the assistant to make sure that the executive's time is maximised. It isn't the executive. And so they have a duty to the business to make sure that they are contributing that kind of service to make sure the executive is the very best they possibly can be. Yeah. Okay. Now you you said that you started out without much of a marketing budget, no marketing budget at all, and and you um, spread the word via social media, and you now have a very strong social media media following. Can you tell us a bit more about how important it has been to the success of your business, and which have been the most effective social media channels for you? Yes, we just wouldn't have a business without social media. It's quite simple. I mean, you know, we started off by joining every LinkedIn group known to man for assistance and started a conversation with them. Um, And I'm forever saying the money's in the conversation. Um, I think so many publishers broadcast as opposed to having conversations with their audience. And for us, we don't just use it as a way to sell stuff. And we don't just use it as a way to post articles. We are in constant conversation with our assistants. And what that means is that they trust us. And therefore, when we ask them to buy something or to do something, they do it. And, you know, it's um, our audience on LinkedIn now is 45,000 assistants on our group. I have 30,000 connections, which is the highest number of connections you're allowed on LinkedIn. So now I'm into getting followers. I changed my profile on LinkedIn actually about three years in because I saw a wonderful um, presentation in the States from one of the top people who advise on LinkedIn. And she told me to change my particular profile in the keywords so that it was saying that I was a speaker um, and an influencer within the marketplace. And the year before, I think I did 20 gigs and that year I did over 170. So the power of LinkedIn with getting the word out that way was amazing. But, you know, we now have um, about 16,000 people who follow us on Facebook. We've got 12,000 followers on Twitter, and we've just started with Instagram. But Twitter is bonkers too. I mean, Execsec Live Global, which is the event we just did this weekend, we had a 7 million tweet reach. 
And wow. usually with Executive Secretary Live, we trend at number one in whichever country we do it. And that's with 150 to 200 people in the room. So, right. you know, it's um, it's a great way to get your profile out there and to make sure that people are interacting with you and that new people find you. And, and how, what sort of form might those conversations take? I just ask them all the time. So, for example, with um, Executive Secretary Live, which we're meant to be running in London in September, although, to be honest, I can't really see it happening at this point. Um, And, you know, I think they can see that coming because we talk to them about it all the time. But on social media, I have been saying to them, what are you thinking? Well, you can see we've got this event coming up. Do you think it's going to be something you're going to be able to travel to? What is the travel policy within your company right now? How are you feeling about getting on a plane? Because usually, you know, the London event is people from 25 countries. So it's not a question of whether the hotel is open. It's whether my speakers can get there from America or whether the delegates can get there. So, you know, but by having that conversation and by getting maybe a couple of hundred comments back, what it says is we trust you, we're listening to you. And actually, our whole business is based on what you're telling us. So therefore, when we do turn around and say we don't think it's going to happen, a, it's a not, not a huge shock, but shock and be there coming with us. Do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's very much a joint decision. I, I, was, I was going to ask if you were to give advice to other publishers, maybe in completely different fields about how they could take that and use it for their own ends. What would that be? I think I see so much in the publishing world that is people who have very obviously um, pre-set their social media. And it kind of says, here's an article that came out last week. Here's a great article on this. What about, here is a wonderful article on this. We'd love to know your opinion on this part of it. Or um, we're thinking about launching this new product. What do you think? Or for us, you know, I'm consistently asking Who have you seen train in this arena that you think should be writing for us? What are the new topics that you would like training on? What are um, the what's the new tech that's coming out that you're finding particularly useful? And over COVID, how are you finding it? How can we help you? You know, I mean, I've done a webinar or a podcast, at least one pretty much every day since we went into lockdown. And that's because. This market particularly needs leadership. And if you establish yourself as a leader within your marketplace, because you're the one who has the information to hand, then you're going to have a following forever. And as I said earlier, once they trust you, if you ask them to buy stuff, they will do. And that sounds really cynical. It's not. I can genuinely say, and I know this isn't very businesslike, but I love my audience. It's You can hear, it's my absolute passion, these women to help them to step up and become what they're meant to be. So, you know, yes, I I obviously have to eat. But at the same time, the the interaction is, I think, for me, what has really built our business. So where next for Executive Secretary? You said that you see this as an opportunity. What would you like to achieve going forward? Oh, goodness knows. I really... um, Things emerge. So we have a, for me, in the immediate future, you know, we're, we've got a couple more events coming up. We're doing um, ExecSec Tech, which obviously, you know, tech, uh, totally technology stuff, another 48-hour event. We've got another event, which is actually um, secretary-related, but is nothing to do with just our audience. Coming up in November, we're doing an event we're calling Parallel, and we're taking some of the greatest 
assist uh, uh, greatest influencers of our time and putting people who have worked alongside them in a position where they're going to be sharing the secrets that they learned from them. So people like Nelson Mandela, Obama, Ronald Reagan, uh, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, you know, it's it's an extraordinary lineup. I think out of the top 20 most influential people of our time, we've got 12 of those assistants who are going to be speaking for one day. Um, but on a, on a very different note, we run a foundation in South Africa where we take kids out of um, Soweto and we train them for a year to become assistants and then we find them work. It's a great route out of poverty. And um, we've trained 14 kids so far and have found the work within South Africa. And that tra- charity right now could really do with some input. So I s- need to get going on that and make sure they've got funds for the students for next year. But also the Black Lives Matter thing has really um, been a huge thing for us because in the States, particularly a lot of the administrators um, are black. And certainly I see a gap between the lower level administrators who tend to be of colour and the higher level assistants who are EAs where that isn't so prevalent. So I set up a working group of our black leaders to talk about how we ensure that right the way across the world, the black community have as many opportunities to reach the higher levels as the white community. So that's a real focus for the next couple of months, I think, certainly. Well, I was going to ask, of all the high profile executive assistants you've met and worked with, which stand out the most and what was it about them that made made them so effective? Oh, they're all extraordinary. They all are servant leaders because you have to be in this profession. Um, I think for me, getting to know each of them has been extraordinary in a very different way. It's great to be able to see the stories behind history. So I know that when Zelda Lachonji, who was Mandela's assistant, for example, came and spoke in London, she told all sorts of stories there that the, the conference ended and I was standing in the doorway and people were walking past me and I was saying, how was it? And they were just, oh, I can't talk to you. That was just the most amazing talk, you know. Um, yeah. She served him for 24 years. And I said to her at one point, you know, so Zelda, you know, you didn't get married. You didn't have children. If you had the chance to do it all again, would you say that this had been worth it? And she said, I had the opportunity to get married and have children or to be part of history. And I chose to serve him. Wow. You know, so, and that's very much the mentality right the way across the board. I, I, I just have had my life change actually by being able to spend one of, one of the greatest weekends of my life was going to Paris with some of those absolutely amazing top assistants. And we went to go and see Bruno Mars playing live in Paris, (laughs) but I had, I had three days in a house just outside Paris with all those people and kept pinching myself and thinking, how have I been invited to this? This is just extraordinary. Gosh. Yes, I I was going to ask as my final question, from an executive assistant's point of view, what makes the perfect boss? I think what makes the perfect boss is somebody who understands what you're capable of and gives you the opportunity to do it. Um, there is nothing more frustrating for assistants who have extraordinary skills than having an executive who says, I don't need you to do that. I am capable of doing that myself. I think we need to understand that that there is a great story, actually, and I shall do it very quickly, from a guy called Jeff Hoffman, who is the guy who started Booking.com and Priceline.com. He's worth about 58 billion. 
But he says he went to dinner with an eminent heart surgeon friend of his who was sitting there doing his calendar. And he said to him, Carl, what are you doing? And Carl said, I'm doing my calendar. And he said, but aren't you worth $500 an hour? Now, Jeff says, if you don't have an assistant, you are an assistant. And I think business owners would do well and executives would do well to understand that and to let their assistant shine because they in turn will let the executives shine. Lucy Brazier, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast today. Thank you. A big thank you again to Acorn Web Offset for sponsoring this podcast. If you're looking for a new magazine printer, then check out their website at acornweb.co.uk or contact Matt Carey on 07714-299-105 or by email at matthew.carry at acornweb.co.uk. Thank you to Lucy for being our guest this week. You can find out more about Executive Secretary magazine and its events and training programme at executivesecretary.com and you could follow Lucy on Twitter. Her handle is at Lucy Brazier. Our guest next week will be John Barnes, Chief Digital Officer at William Reed Business Media. We can be contacted at editorial at inpublishing.co.uk and you can find out more about us at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and please join me next week on the In Publishing podcast.